Hi friends, welcome back to another episode of Confessions of an Ex-Mormon. I'm your host, Allie, and today's episode is going to be about, um, well, kind of a, a topic that I've been putting off for a little while. It was one of the first ideas I ever had for an episode of this podcast, although I have been putting it off because I see it as a bit controversial and your girl here has some problems with uh, people-pleasing and confrontation. <laughs> but, you know, we're just going to dive into it because this is a topic that's actually really important to me. And I'm going to try to approach it in as respectful of a way as possible, but in an educational way and hopefully in a way that will will get people to understand and get them thinking because that's the idea of this podcast. I want everyone to be able to understand where each other's coming from. So before we dive into it, if I'm a little scatterbrained, I apologize. I have been dealing with working on leaving uh, Italy soon. I had an interview this past week online for a job back in the States. So if I get that, I'm coming back soon. And if not, then I'll be going to Cambodia to live for a while, which is completely different. Um, my brother lives over there, so I would stay with him for a while. But nevertheless, my brain is, is a little bit all over the place. And it really hit me today that, like, I'm leaving fast in the next 20 to 30 days. Like, if I get this job, I'm probably leaving in, like, 20 days. And if I don't get it, I'm still leaving in, like, 30 days. So been just in my feels today thinking about this incredible experience I've had here in Italy. I started this podcast while I was here and I've grown a lot. I've seen parts of the world I never thought I'd see. I've made friends with people from all over. I've I feel like my mind has expanded in ways further than just my education thanks to travel and meeting just thousands of different people from everywhere. I highly recommend living in a big city like Rome or, I don't know, probably New York City or LA or, you know, one of the London, one of these big cities, because the types of people you meet are just, they're from everywhere, all walks of life, all kinds of people. And it's allowed me to grow in ways that I never knew I could. And I have made some of the most beautiful friendships. But enough of that mushy stuff. Um, we can talk about that later when we're not on my podcast. So if you're interested in any of that, reach out to me. <laughs> but today we are going to discuss cult-like tendencies in religions, specifically Mormonism, obviously. But uh, we're going to go over the bite method. The bite method is a way of outlining the different methods of mind control that cults use to gain and retain control over people and their thoughts. BITE stands for Behavior, Information, Thought, and Emotional Control, developed by Stephen Hassan 
and this was in a dissertation published in January of 2021, based on research and theory by Robert J. Lifton, Margaret Singer, Edgar Schein, Louis Jol- Jolin West, and others who studied brainwashing in Maoist China, as well as cognitive dissonance theory by Leon Festinger. So I went through the different 50 components listed in this dissertation, and mainstream Mormonism, according to my experience and my thought processes, displays about 31 of the listed methods of cult-like behavior listed in this uh, dissertation, and when applied to Mormons serving full-time missions, 34 of these methods apply. So, Mormonism is some is called a cult by some, and I and members of the church will vehemently deny this. I think it's important to recognize that uh, cults are do not technically have a definition. Like uh, they sort of lie on a spectrum, and it really relates to the influence continuum, right? So, for example. We, from the moment we're born, we're constantly being influenced by all kinds of people, ideas, and forces. Some of these influences are healthy, and uh, some of them are not. Uh, individual experiences might vary within the same organization based on how the individual conforms to the norms of the group. For example, um, a lesbian teen in a homophobic church will be subjected to a different degree of undue influence than a straight man who is married with children in the same church. So when we're looking at, you know, what a cult really means, again, it sort of has to do with the way you define it in your own terms and those types of things. But let's go over what Stephen Hassan and says in this and how uh, how it relates. So the first portion of the dissertation goes into behavioral control, regulating an individual's physical reality. Now, the dissertation discusses four main categories in which there is control. These controls fall under behavior, information, thought, and emotion. So behavior explores how manipulative groups regulate and dominate their members' actions and behaviors through strict rules, rewards, and punishments, limiting individual autonomy. The elements listed under behavioral control are the following. Regulate individuals' physical reality. Dictate where, how, and with whom the member lives and associates or isolates. This one specifically, um, and I'm going to stop and and talk about each one of these. So this one specifically, I think, can go either way. Definitely when you're a missionary, you're dictated with whom you live, associate, and are isolated from. And especially when I was a missionary, there was no contact with your family outside of emails once a week and two phone calls a year, which that was a, a, that's a very 
culty behavior. However, in mainstream Mormonism, when you're not serving your mission, they, I still remember being raised in a environment where I was told not to, uh, I was not, I was not told to, you know, like not be friends with people who aren't members of the church, but you know, surround yourself with, uh, good people essentially, which, you know, that can be argued one way or the other. You don't want to be influenced when you're a kid, especially you don't want your kid to be influenced by bad people or what you might consider a bad influence. You don't want them to grow up to be like in a gang or going to prison or something like that. So it, it can, it can depend on the family. Uh, my family in particular was, was pretty lenient about the friends I hung out with. Like it wasn't, uh, they weren't very strict, but I know that there are some families out there who are, are more strict in that sense. So the next one listed under behavior control is when, how, and with whom the member has sex. Again, this can be heavily argued that yes, that is how, what Mormonism does, you know, just, well, yeah, it is. It's not, not exactly when and how, but definitely with whom. Control your types of clothing and hairstyles. Yes. Hairstyles, not as much, but clothing. Yes. Regulate diet, food, drink, hunger, and or fasting. Again, kind of, we, there's the word of wisdom, which most people don't follow to the letter. The word of wisdom mentions, you know, only eating meat in times of famine. I don't think anyone's really ever followed that. So from the beginning, I think they were trying to regulate the diet, but it seems like the only part that the members really take part in is the part about not, you know, drinking alcohol, tea, or doing drugs, um, and then also fasting once a month. Manipulation and deprivation of sleep doesn't really apply. Financial exploitation, manipulation, or dependence. Uh, you could definitely argue that tithing is financial exploitation as well as the missionary program. And I want to dive into this a little bit too because financial or like the like tithing first of all you're not you're not allowed to go into the mormon temple unless you are a full tithe payer meaning 10 percent of your income uh some people will argue i think it's supposed to be your is it your gross income it's before whatever it is like before taxes i think some people do it after taxes i always did it after taxes i think <laughs> um but some people would argue that's not a full tithe anyway uh, you're not allowed to go into the temple unless you're a full tithe payer. And they also say that you're not going to receive the full blessings from God if you don't go to the temple. Therefore, you have to be giving 10% of your income to the church. And th that doesn't sit well with me. Um, again, they say this is a commandment from God. So whatever. But oh, what's the next one? Yeah, and then manipulation or so i'd say that definitely falls under financial manipulation dependence mm, not so much uh, let's see restrict leisure entertainment and vacation time uh, i don't think that really applies major time oh well again with missionaries though it does so missionaries leisure time is severely restricted leisure entertainment there's absolutely no vacation as a missionary 
major time spent with group indoctrination and rituals and or self-indoctrination, including the internet. Again, yes. Major time. So when you are a member of the church, you go to church every Sunday. It, when I was young, it was three hours every Sunday. Nowadays, it's two hours. They changed that around the time of COVID. However, you also have, uh, when you're a child, there's like, oh, what did they call it? Activity days or achievement days. They've got Boy Scouts for the boys. And then when you're older, there's mutual. So it's like two hours on Wednesdays or something. Uh, that you're supposed to go spend time with the youth, like people your age, um, from the church. And then they also have summer camps that you'll go whole weeks away. And then indoctrination rit and rituals. I would say probably, oh, yeah, they tell you to do family night and also visiting teaching and home teaching. So family night is like one hour a week that you're supposed to set aside for like church like Sunday school at home and then family home evening is where, or excuse me, um, uh, visiting teaching. They, they changed the name to something else, but you go and you visit somebody in the neighborhood who's part of the church and you're giving them like a Sunday school lesson once a month. Uh, so that sounds like major time. I mean, that's how many hours spent per week just in religious, contexts one two three four minimum plus are the the leaders of mormonism also tell you to read your scriptures every day they sort of don't tell you how much time you should spend on that but they say you should be praying every morning and night and reading your scriptures at least once a day so factor in all of that and um that's that's some major time Let's see. Uh, next one in here. Permission required for major decisions. Uh, I mean, permissions required for like going into the temple and stuff, but not as much for other things. No, not really. That doesn't apply. Rewards and punishments used to modify behaviors, both positive and negative. Uh, yeah, I suppose that that, again, this one could be argued. Um, rewards and punishments. I don't know that I'd say there's really punishments. I guess rewards would be like going to the temple and praise and stuff like that. But I'm not sure that that one applies. Discourage individualism and encourage groupthink. Yes and no. Um, Mormonism teaches to like pray and there's, there's a, one of the biggest ideas about Mormonism, something you do when you're a missionary and in the first lesson you teach people is to pray and find out for these, for yourself if, if it's like true. So in a way that encourages like individual revelation, but it's almost this idea of like, if you don't receive an answer, then you're not praying hard enough. So it, it's like, kind of giving you this idea that you're not, you're just like not praying hard enough or you're not worthy enough if you're not getting the right answer. So I think uh, it definitely, and it definitely encourages groupthink, obviously, because you're being told all the time, like, uh, 
this is what God wants, this is what God thinks, the prophet tells you what to think, you're singing all these hymns in church that are telling you kind of what to think, so definitely encourages groupthink. Um, and again, with the missionary program, even more so, there's a certain way of dressing even more than when you're just in your daily life as a Mormon, you, you have to dress a very specific way as a missionary and talk a certain way. Um, so yeah, that one feels like it definitely applies. Next one up, impose rigid rules and regulations. Again, what does rigid mean? I'd call some of the rules in Mormonism rigid personally, but some people might not depending where you come from. So that could go either way. But, uh, as far as like, you know, entering the temple, those rules were for sure rigid. And again, you're taught that you will not receive all the blessings of God that you could and that you should unless you enter the temple. So yeah, I think it does apply. Punish disobedience by beating, torture, burning, cutting, rape, or tattooing and branding. Uh, no, that does not apply. Thank goodness. Threaten harm to family and friends. No. Force individual to rape or be raped. No. Encourage and engage in corporal punishment. No. Instill dependency and obedience. Yes. I would say I definitely felt like a sense of obviously obedience. That's what you're taught to do. Obey God, obey the prophets, obey your leaders and also like a dependency on i guess them more so obedience than dependent uh dependency yeah the next few don't really apply either kidnapping beating torture rape uh no those don't apply the next one though separation of families yes again so separation of families as a missionary i cannot stress to you enough how much I think the missionary program was a piece of shit. It's, I mean, you guys have heard me talk about, I mean, that's, that's the basis of this whole podcast, really. My, my mission messed me up, but so culty. There, all of these things are falling into that. Um, next one, imprisonment and murder. No, those don't apply. So we've got at least half of those under the uh, behavioral control. Next one up in the essay is information control. First one, deception. Uh, and that can be defined as deliberately withholding information. Uh, ding, ding, ding. Anybody else like not know about Joseph Smith reading the Urim and Thummim in a hat when they were young and figured that out when they were like in college? Because that was me. I didn't actually know it until I took a Mormon studies class in college. I thought that sounded interesting. My professor turned out to be a <laughs> a uh, blatant anti-Mormon. I'm sure he had like left the church when he was young or he had lived in Utah his whole life and he thought that it, he must have just thought it was fascinating and weird and um so he didn't he didn't actually come out and say he was anti-Mormon. He he told us this in class. I remember him saying you know, if you are someone investigating Mormonism and you want to be pushed towards it, like, I'll give you the resources you need for it to seem 
like to, to make you more faithful. And if you want to leave, I'll give you resources for that. Like he was just a Mormon scholar. That's what he was. But he showed us in class the uh, South Park episode that makes fun of Mormons, which uh, made me super uncomfortable. But it was really funny. And there was this part where um, they were making fun of Joseph Smith sticking his head in a hat, looking at the Urim and Thummim. And I was like, what the hell is that? So if you don't know about that, look it up. But uh, that, I think, was deliberately withheld. I did not learn about that until I was in college. I think they teach it nowadays, but anyway, weird. Uh, Also under deception, distorting information to make it more acceptable. Yeah, so for sure I have learned um, a lot of... So, okay, again, this is an uncomfy topic, so here we go. Discussing the hard stuff. Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and all of their wives... People will distort this information to make it sound more acceptable. People are talking about how, uh, I remember being taught when I was younger that it was because they needed more children or something that were going to be part of Mormonism to help like build up the kingdom of God. But, uh, I also recently learned that back in those days, the average number of children for uh, a family was like, I don't know, three to five. And if you do the math between like all the wives that Brigham Young had, it was like 1.2 or something. I'll have to go back and I could like connect the, the TikTok account. I found this from, there's this really cool Mormon scholar on TikTok that I follow. But the point being that they didn't have more children just because he had what, like 34 wives? Like, no. And then I've, now that I'm out of the church, I've also been listening to a lot of different accounts about things Joseph Smith did uh, and the women he married. I remember learning when I was young that, or hearing from someone that they were like, well, there's no like proof that he consummated these spiritual marriages, these spiritual wives. But I have read historical accounts from people like walking in on Joseph Smith consummating these marriages with, you know, teenage girls in a barn and horrible things like that. And spiritually, you can't see my hands, but I'm doing quotes, like spiritually marrying women after he sent men to go on missions. He'd like take their wives. Also, um, telling one woman that, you know, her family was guaranteed to go to the celestial kingdom, her and her entire family, if he married her. And, and then my, and then people telling me this information in different ways to make it seem more acceptable. And it was, Anyway, I, I feel like I have been lied to a lot, and that's another big issue I have. The next one under this deception, systematically lie to the cult member. Again, I think, I actually think probably most, I'm going to go ahead and say it, probably half of the leaders are just reteaching what they've been taught, but I think there's probably like half out there who know what they're talking about and know that they're bullshitting. Or they are just lying to themselves that uh, 
I don't know, information's been distorted over time in, in the raw. I don't know what they're thinking, actually, because there's clear evidence for a lot of these things. But definitely deception, yes. Uh, next up, under information control, minimize or discourage access to non-cult sources of information. Ha ha ha! There we go. There's a big one. <laughs> My friend just sent me a TikTok today saying something like this. They were like, when you leave the church, uh, or when you're in the church, they tell you to only read, you know, information put out by the church, not anti-Mormon stuff. And then you leave and you realize that's what? History books? <laughs> like, yes. So, yeah, the non-cult sources of information are going to be, I think, what a lot of people consider anti-Mormon, but a lot of it's just history. In fact, I learned that there was this book, uh, it's called Rough Stone Rolling. I read that book, and it's a really interesting account of Joseph Smith's history, and it goes really in-depth about his family history, and he... This book was written by a member of the church, and apparently he he was heavily criticized for it, even though it was like just a strict history. And they almost, I don't know, excommunicated the guy. I heard that he went into like, um, I don't know, they like got sent to review with the first presidency or something. I don't know. This is all speculation. I would have to research it. But it's crazy to me that, uh, that these these non-religious sources of information can be considered anti-Mormon when, like, this one was written by a Mormon. So, yeah, minimizing and discouraging access to these these sources of information outside of the church, absolutely. Keeping members busy so they don't have time to think and investigate, yeah. Control through with phones and internet tracking, no, they don't do that. Um, what else? Okay, so next one on the list, compartmentalize information into outsider versus insider doctrines. I'm not sure what they mean by that. Let's see. Ensure that information is not freely accessible. Uh, kind of. It can be hard to find information. I mean, you've got the internet now, and but let's see what else they say. Control information at different levels and missions within a group. Yes, that's true, actually. Oh, so controlling information at different levels. I mean, that would apply really just to prior to your temple endowment and post but I hadn't thought about that. Allowing only leadership to decide who needs to know what and when. Ooh, that's interesting. And that is something that happens. Having been in lower levels of church leadership, but been there. And obviously, obviously there's, there's going to be things that happen in an, any organization like that. But um, I don't know. The, the part about the temple, though, controlling information at different levels, that part's interesting to me. Okay, next one, encourage spying on other members. Uh, does that happen? With missionaries, that happens. So, I mean, I don't know that you would call it spying because you're literally not allowed to leave the room ever 
for two years of whoever you're assigned to. So you know you're being watched, I guess. So it's not really spying. But, I mean, that's culty too, right? Like, <laughs> being watched all the time. I think that it fa- I think it falls under that. So I'm going to give that one a yes. Next one. Extensive use of cult-generated information and propaganda, including newsletters, magazines, journals, audio tapes, videotapes. Aha, uh-huh, yep. We've got all of the church magazines. There's the church website. I... There's a, of course, general conference, and uh, there's even a couple of, I think, radio stations. I'm sure there's podcasts. There's all kinds of things, but they like push you to read in your free time the church magazines and uh, listen to talks from the leaders. And then uh, the last one, unethical use of confessions. This, yeah, so here's what they have to say about that. Uh, So that would fall under information about sins used to disrupt or dissolve identity and boundaries, withholding forgiveness or absolution, manipulation of memory, possible false memories. This one, again, is going to vary from person to person because I'm sure that there are bishops and stake presidents out there that have done things like this. I've heard stories from other people. Luckily, something like this has never happened to me personally. And I know that if I know that most ecclesiastical leaders within the Mormon church are are in there like to do good. My dad was a bishop for a while and he's a very good man and he never would have done anything like that. Uh, however, I know that there are bad apples out there too. So again, that one can be hit or miss depending on the individual. Okay. So those were the first two, that second one, that was information control. So again, about uh, Mormonism, I'd say falls under about half of those. Next up, thought control, requiring members to internalize a group's doctrine as truth. So that would include adopting the group's map of reality as reality, instilling black and white thinking, decide between good versus evil, and organize people into us versus them mentality or outsiders versus insiders. And hopefully I don't have to explain those even further because that's an obvious yes. Next up on thought control, changing a person's name and identity. <laughs> Okay, if you've been through the temple, you know why I'm laughing. Um, so I'm just going to leave it there. Um, but that one's a yes. <laughs> Use of loaded language and cliches which constrict knowledge, stop critical thoughts, and reduce complexities into platitudinous buzzwords. Oh, that's a tough one. I don't know exactly. What would... what load? I, you know, this one's confusing me. I'm going to have to unpack that one and go back to it. Okay, so I paused for a second there to just look up examples of what that meant and uh, typed it into an AI <laughs> chat. So uh, they're talking about loaded language here. Loaded language and cliches are rhetorical devices that can influence or manipulate an audience by using words and phrases with strong or vague connotations. 
They can also be used to end an argument or avoid further discussion by appealing to common sense or folk wisdom. For example, you are either with us or against us is a loaded statement that implies a false dilemma and pressures the listener to choose a side. It is what it is, is a cliche that can be used to dismiss any criticism or alternative perspective. A few, ex- I asked for a few more examples. So that would be like saying someone is a bureau- bureaucrat instead of a public servant, which would imply that they're inefficient, rigid, or corrupt. Or labeling someone as an elitist instead of an expert which applies that implies that they're arrogant. So I think that maybe in the context of religion or Mormonism specifically, it would be maybe telling someone that they are unfaithful when they are questioning or something like that. I, I so I could absolutely see it in falling into that uh, category encourage only good and proper thoughts. Yeah, that's another one. Like, actually, that's a huge one. I was always taught only think good things. That's impossible. And I think kind of unhealthy. I think it's made me a people pleaser in a lot of ways, and which has been a really negative impact on my life. Like I have a hard time standing up for myself or speaking what I think, and it gets me into trouble. Next up, hypnotic techniques are used to alter mental states, undermine critical thinking, and even to age regress the member. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that uh, there are hypnotic techniques, and they're going to be things like the temple ceremonies and testimony meetings, even on Sundays. Also, like when you are reciting the young women's theme, for example, those are all hypnotic techniques. Memories are manipulated and false memories are created. Uh, I think that this one can be different depending on what congregation you were in or what family, but yeah, that, that could be a thing. Teach the next one, teaching thought stopping techniques which shut down reality testing by stopping negative thoughts and allowing only positive thoughts, including denial, rationalization, justification, chanting, meditating, (laughs) singing, speaking in tongues, and praying. Okay, yeah, definitely was taught those things, uh, thought-stopping techniques. uh, I have a friend of mine, he was on the show, King Benjamin, the fresh King Benjamin. He has a, he has a bit about this on his YouTube sing. He would sing a, a hymn anytime he felt horny. <laughs> so he said he's, he's horny every time he sings a hymn or hears a hymn now. But yeah, you're, we're taught to, I, I would, I would sing when I was, um, when I was having negative thoughts or pray. Again, not, this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it is a, um, characteristic of cults or cult-like behavior. Rejection of rational analysis, critical thinking, and constructive criticism. Yes. 
forbid critical questions about leaders, doctrines, or policies. I don't think that questions were necessarily forbidden, but they were definitely discouraged. In fact, I mentioned this in a previous podcast. We were one of the most popular talks when I was in my youth was doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith or something like that. So obviously not encouraging critical thinking there. Next one up, labeling alternative belief systems as illegitimate, evil, or not useful. Oh my God, that's number one on the list. I mean, the first thing that Mormons teach is that God came to Joseph Smith and told him that none of the churches were right and that he needed to bring back Christ's only true church. So, yeah, that's a big one. And then the last one on this particular portion, instill a new map of reality. Absolutely, that would be the entire plan of salvation. We are teaching people Mormonism. We, I'm not part of it anymore. Mormonism was teaching a new map of reality. So uh, where we came from, why we're here, and where we're going. Boom. Falls under pretty much every single one of those thought controls. And then the last one in this list of the bite method is emotional control. The first one on the list, manipulate and narrow the range of feelings. Some emotions and or needs are deemed as evil, wrong, or selfish. Yes, absolutely. I think the want and need of like sexual gratification, obviously, is uh, deemed as evil. And any really type of selfishness, I guess, like... For example, I don't want kids. I've never wanted kids my whole life. And I was taught most of my life that in order to reach the celestial kingdom, the the final destination, if you will, you have to have children and that it's selfish not to. We are commanded to have children and that it was evil that I didn't want them. And to me, that's awful. <laughs> I just, I still feel guilty about it. Like saying it out loud and putting it here on this podcast is a little cringy for me. It's hard because it makes me feel like a bad person, but I don't think it, but I don't think it does. Like the rational part of my brain says like, that doesn't make you a bad person, Allie, just because you know what you want in this life. But the, I, it's just the thinking that, that I was brought up with. So definitely that one applies. Next one on that list, teach emotion stopping techniques to block feelings of homesickness, anger, or doubt. Oh my God. Then another one, especially in the missionary system, emotion stopping techniques. Yes. To block homesickness, man, go back and listen to episode two. If you don't know what I'm talking about, but that's that's a huge one, especially in the missionary program. Number three, make a person feel that the problems are always their own fault and never the leader's or the group's fault. Yes, the number one thing that I hear from people in the church is the church is perfect, the people are not. 
guess what? No, the church is not perfect. Neither are the people. Uh, but they, they keep saying that it, you know, it's never the, the church's fault, but it is. There's absolutely problems with, uh, with the organization. Next one on the list, promote feelings of guilt or unworthiness, such as identity guilt, you not living up to your potential, your family is deficient, your past is suspect, your affiliations are unwise, your thoughts, feelings, actions are irrelevant or selfish, social guilt, historical guilt. Yeah, I'd say that's definitely in there. I mean, guilt obviously is going to come when they are constantly, you're constantly being told that you are a sinner every day. Like you, you're supposed to pray uh, every day uh, to, to be forgiven of your sins. So clearly, and again, go back and listen to episodes one or two if you don't know what I'm talking about, but that's that's a huge reason why I left as well constant feelings of guilt and unworthiness. That's actually the main reason I left. Next one, instill fear, such as fear of thinking independently, the outside world, enemies, losing your salvation, leaving or being shunned by the group, others' disapproval, and historical guilt. Yep, yep, that that, that tracks. Next one, extremes of emotional highs and lows. Love bombing and praise one moment, and then you are declare, declaring you are a horrible sinner the next. The I don't really ever see... I do see love bombing. I don't really see, like, the hate and horrible sinner part. But in the beginning, if you are a convert, for example, there is some serious love bombing. And we're actually taught to be extra friendly to new people and people who are not members and to welcome them into the fold. Obviously they want people to feel welcome at church. And I think that most of the time that that's done out of a sense of love, but again, this is, uh, this is another behavior in, uh, cults that they found in this study. Next one on the list Ritualistic and sometimes public confessions of sins. Yes, ritual, not all, not public, but ritualistic. Yes, public in the sense that occasionally they will bring it in front of a group of your leaders. So if it's a small enough sin, you, you will confess to your bishop, possibly your stake president, but if it is extreme enough they will bring it to like a board of leaders and then you have to do it in front of like i don't know what 10 men or something and it's all men by the way there's never any woman in there so that's great and then uh number eight on this list is phobia indoctrination in what does that say incul inculcating Irrational fears about leaving the group or questioning the leader's authority, meaning that uh, you will have no happiness or fulfillment possible outside of the group, terrible consequences if you leave, such as hell, possession, incurable diseases, accidents, insanity, uh, 
etc. Shunning of those who leave, fear of being rejected by friends and family, never a legitimate reason to leave, those who leave are weak, undisciplined, unspiritual, worldly, brainwashed, seduced, and threats of harm to ex-members and family. Uh, yeah, this definitely applies. Uh, obviously not the threats of harm and stuff, but like the, there, the biggest thing is there's never a legitimate reason to leave, right? You're either weak, you're undisciplined, you're unspiritual, you're worldly, you're brainwashed, you're seduced by money, sex, or rock and roll. Absolutely. So that applies. Anyway, last time I went through this, I counted 50 different, 50 different like bullet points that he goes over in here. So if you went through and counted, um, I'm not sure if it would be, that might be a little confusing for you. But again, from what happened in my life, Mormonism fell under about 31 of these and missionaries, when as a missionary, it fell into about 34. That's a lot. And that concerns me for the health of my friends and family who are still in the church. So I hope that going, like, listening to this doesn't upset you. I'm not trying to upset you, but I'm trying to let you know how the concerned the rest of us are. I highly recommend that you guys go and do some research of this on your own, whether you are the member of any faith or any organization that you are extremely passionate about. Be careful out there, you guys. Be aware of what is healthy for you, what's healthy for your mind, If something makes you happy, again, go for it, do it. But if something's not making you happy, explore. It's okay. You know, we're here. I'm here. So many of my followers out here, my my friends that have been on the podcast are all great people. We're all here to support each other. If you want to learn more about this, Um, I'm going to link in the show notes where I got my information. My source comes from freedomofmind.com. So this was all about the bite method, bite model of cult mind control by, again, by Stephen Hassan. And this was just a brief overview of it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. This was really fun for me to unpack, actually. And if you, again, if you have the time, highly recommend going and reading this. And so glad for you guys to join me today. I, again, am hoping to do a episode on listener stories pretty soon here. So if you will send them over to me at confessionsofanexmo at gmail.com, then I would love to have you on the show. And... I am so grateful for all of my listeners. Any feedback you have, constructive or praiseworthy, I'd love to hear it. Connect with me, and I will talk with you guys soon. Have a great couple of weeks. See you in a while. 
This has been another episode of Confessions of an Ex-Mormon. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to rate the show. You can find me on Instagram at Confessions of an Exmo or send me your stories at Confessions of an Exmo at gmail.com. I'm also on Patreon now, so support the show there at patreon.com slash confessions of an Exmo or find it down in the show notes. Thanks for your support. See you guys in two weeks.